think we're just in the wrong mindset. Most conflict is, is a result of bad faith. It's, it's a result of ego and testosterone and unnecessary exertion of power. Because the paradigm is, is not focused on the right priorities. It's, I mean, there's definitely enough to go around for everyone. We just don't like to accept that, and we haven't been used to this. We're, we're, we, we, we always say, you know, in nature, the big fish eat the small fish. It's true, the big fish eat the small fish, but not all of the small fish. They eat just enough small fish to survive, not as many as they can eat. And that's where things are different when it comes to us. It's, it's not even about survival, because it's not about what's sustainable, it's about what I can get right now, today. It's, it's, all, it's, all, it's all in bad faith, really. The paradigm is not the paradigm of trying to live in harmony. If, uh, if we take that path to the end and realize how ugly and unfruitful it is, and then maybe we'll, we'll rethink our priorities as, as human beings. Yo, man. Yo. I really appreciate uh, the fact that you chose to be anonymous for this episode. I've been giving this offer to everyone that has come on the show, and uh, you are the very first one, so I'm assuming we're going to be talking about some real fucking things today. I hope so. I hope so. hope it's worth it. Yeah, man. It's really worth it uh, having you here and recording this episode. I'm really uh, happy and honored and uh, excited. Uh, thanks for giving me feedback on the book and uh, reading it. It means a lot coming from you because we grew up together and uh, I've always seen you as a brother, both in arms and partying and exploring the world and standing against everything that is wrong with it. So it means a lot to, uh, to have you here. For sure. Anytime. So, um, you know, the theme of this chapter, which is mostly based on uh, us growing up and you always uh, modeled this idea of setting boundaries, creating your own reality. And together we were kind of all waking up to what we can do. And uh, at a very young age, you had the balls to leave home and create your own reality in a way, which was really inspiring to all of us. And at the same time, you, you're really a, a leader in that area. We used to call you General. <laughs> so you're, you also like play that uh, army general archetype to me, which is very intimidating. <laughs> You've taught us all, I think, also other than just being a really good friend to uh, you know, stand for how we want to live our lives in general. And you were the very first person of our friends group to leave home at the tender age of, what, 15? No, 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 it was 20. It was 20, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's rewind to that uh, side of you and what was going on in your mind and you know, tell us the story of how you left home. I mean, when I had been thinking about it for a while, a few years actually, I, uh, I really wasn't interested in, uh, in the kind of education I was receiving at, uh, at university and I, like, I lost interest about two years in. The way society works and whatnot, you you can't just like abandon it. It's not easy, and um, especially ours. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. By by the time I was done with third year, uh, I was having issues at home with uh, power and ego and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I guess I sort of like sort of pushed a bit, maybe a bit hard, in order to induce this sort of outcome somehow from, uh, with, with in, in clashing with my father. It, it, it had started like there had been an ongoing conflict 
related to uh, the way I choose to live my life. I guess no one would really back down. Neither neither my father nor I would decide we wouldn't back down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just had a, a chat where my dad uh, sat me down. He was like, you know, there are two ways, yours and mine. And in this house, it's going to be mine. Take your pick. And I, 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 he's like, sit down, you know, think about it and come back to me and tell me what you, what you want to do. And I just like said, no need to sit down. I think I know what I'm going to do. And I just started packing my bag. So I was, uh, it was right there, right then and there, right then and there. I mean, it had been brewing, you know, I was out, he called me to talk to me. He told me to come back to talk to me. I sort of anticipated where it was going. And, uh, yeah, I just packed my shit, called a friend. He came, pick me up. I had, uh, almost no money. My dad asked me to uh, leave my car. So I did. And I just left sort of never went back since. <laughs> so what was going on in your mind? The, that, that moment that you left, like what, how was the anxiety and fear of this unknown? Like, did you expect? what was going to happen next? Definitely not accurately. I had some expectations that uh, didn't really, uh, things didn't happen the way they happened that I thought they would. Yeah, I mean, you had to push. Yeah, it was, it's, 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 it's fucking difficult to mm-hmm. do it. I mean, uh, there's no social structure that helps you like get a loan to pay tuition or you can't like, uh, you can't make ends meet, uh, just like waiting tables or doing whatever. You know, it's 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 different if you're going to like the most elite university in the in the country, and it's it's impossible. Yeah, but uh, you know, I got lucky along the way. I think that's happen. very humble of you because <laughs> at that age we were all just trying to figure out this money thing, uh-huh. and you were going to a particularly you found yourself in a in an expensive university yeah. that you had to figure out how you're going to pay for mm-hmm. uh, which and and that automatically was the result of leaving that financial umbrella also of your of your father so it's you're trying to find a place you're trying to survive figure out all this but you also were able to kind of pay your university bills through that so how was your relationship with money back then and how did you figure that out like what happened so just to clarify one thing i only had to do this for a, a, a single semester right so one had one had already been paid for by my by, by my father mm-hmm. uh, before the incident, right before it was time to pay tuition for the second semester. Mm-hmm. Things weren't good, so he he decided to use that as a as a pressure point, and um, I wasn't willing. I, I thought it would be just dumb to like throw it all away uh, when I'm so close. And so I, uh, I, like like I said, I was lucky enough to have uh, friends that were a bit older that already had jobs and were making money and it was a good market. They had money to lend me. And so that's that, that's, that was one way I got through the, at least the tuition part. Uh-huh. Uh, as far as living goes, yeah. So I just uh, pretty much did anything I could. I translated, I did some design work here and there. I did some web design work. I uh, got involved in some small crime. Uh, <laughs> the usual. <laughs> you know, just, uh, yeah, made it happen, sort of. So there seems to be many layers that you were unwrapping in terms of authority with first your family and then the education system and then the state. So 
what I'm wondering about here is how did it feel when you woke up in that new life versus when you woke up at your parents' place? What was the first thought uh, or the first feeling that came to you? To be honest, I can't, I can't, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure what the answer to that question was in terms of feeling. I, I, I would assume that there wasn't much feeling at all. It was, uh, I thought of it maybe, feeling was maybe a luxury or something. Like mm. you just, I can't remember how I felt or whatever. I was just like, all right, how are we going to get, yeah, let's, we're here now. How, how, what do we do next? Soldier mode. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how long did that last for? Like, did you ever uh, stop to change like, like that relationship with your dad when you were in that mode? Or how long did it last before you started talking to him again? No, I, I, I never I never cut ties. Mm. Not for one day. Yeah. I, uh, I continued to try and visit them on a weekly basis throughout this uh, because that wasn't the point the point wasn't to uh, cut ties with 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 them the the point was to uh, live in a, in a in a different way that they weren't willing to accept or to just do my own thing or uh, there was never a point where I, I didn't want the relationship to 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 persist right uh, i just wanted it to happen on maybe different terms or uh, have a different shape but but i never i never i never found financial stability if that's the question for for 10 more years maybe mm-hmm. and yet you you made it work so you survived through these years and it's a 10 years is a really long time to create you know i'm sure you needed to create some resilience uh, like this mindset of resilience that you're talking about what are some of the things you told yourself to keep yourself going day in and day out like did you Did you ever stop to say, oh, this is the life that I wanted, like I made it? Was there ever like, this is right? Or did was there like self-doubt and did you have to deal with that? No, there, I mean, let's, let's, let's put some things into context. Mm. I graduated college in 2009 and in 2011, there was a revolution. Three more years later, there was a military coup. Mm. And then a few more, a few more years later, there is, you know... I don't know. Uh, there's a pandemic now, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's unstable to begin with, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, I I uh, I started off working in in ecotourism, mm-hmm. and obviously having a revolution and tourism don't go well together. So uh, left that and then changed fields, got into agriculture, agriculture and food. For me, like the way the way I, I approach things is like you you get on a train. The train doesn't wait for anyone, right? So you just get on. You get on. You get on a train. You go to you. You're heading somewhere, and then when you know that's not where you want to head, you get off and get on another train. Really, yeah. But just lingering in between trains is uh, fruitless. Maybe a waste of time. Maybe I don't know. It's it's not how I do things usually. So the other part that I want to ask you about is like being on that train with you was always fun. Like we had a lot of great moments through that. And so the, the, the stressful existence that we can experience is, was only part of it. But you also seem to have that sense of gumption that I'm writing about, this sense of being spirited always. So you, you to, to me, you're always like someone that's very alive. It's very uh, present. How did you find you know, that element of fun changing when you when you were living life on your own? Like, did you feel like you were able to start enjoying it more and more or were you trying to be more responsible because now you're taking care of yourself no no i definitely wasn't trying to be more responsible 
<laughs> and I wasn't trying to take care of myself yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. That's something that I maybe more recently started to look into. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start the story from the way it actually started the conversation that started that confrontation. For the very first time, confronted your dad. What was that about? I uh, walked home uh, one night and uh, my eyes were uh, bloodshot red. (laughs) And my dad asked me uh, why my eyes were red. And for some reason, for that moment, I decided that I didn't feel like lying and just told him it's because I had been uh, smoking cash. And uh, that was actually the root cause of everything. Uh, so what did he tell you? What was his response? He was definitely shocked. Uh-huh. Definitely shocked that it was just so casual coming out of me. That, uh, but, I, but he was like, okay, you got to stop this. It's, 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 not, it's not on. It's not, you, can't, you can't be doing this. Uh-huh. And uh, it's going to destroy your life. It's going to, you know, you're going to end up in jail. And uh, I told him I would. And then, you know, two weeks later, it happens again. And another two weeks later, it happens again. And another two weeks later, it happens again. And then uh, that's uh, really where it all started. So the confrontation happened around hash. Mm-hmm. But if we dig deeper, there's something else going on. You mentioned the power play. In of the course. Very beginning, right. So uh, uh, he had this position of no hash in my house or my son does not smoke hash. And you were of the position that hash perhaps isn't as harmful or it was part of your lifestyle that you were. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to to make things clear, all actions came from a place where there was no ill intention. Mm -hmm. It all came from a place of love, right? Like uh, on both ends, Mm -hmm. he was taking actions in order to protect me. And I was uh, refusing to be deceptive on uh, how I live my life also so that I can express who I am is, is what I felt is also what, what a loving thing is, is what a loving person does, right? Mm-hmm. Is not to deceive another person uh, that they love. And really, I think it was like it was, it was a bluff on my, on my father's end. He, he thought by telling me this that I would get in line. Uh, he he didn't actually want me to leave, right? Because he he later you know told me, all right, stop doing this and come back. And yeah. I was like, no, I'm actually loving this, you know. <laughs> so let's slow down this for a second. Uh, Once he told you that, like it's either my way or the highway, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did that sink in for you? How did you feel in that moment? Like I said, it, this is exactly like the, the the result I was looking for somehow in some in some twisted way. And uh, I mean, being twenty, you know, it's it's also about you know testosterone, right? Yeah. Being a young male, I, I don't know if being in this society makes it even a bigger deal or not. I'm not sure, but uh, I mean, uh, definitely the patriarchy here is uh, well entrenched. I'm not gonna come out like having a small dick yet, <laughs> right? That's a position we can't afford to be in, especially at that age. Of course not, yeah, yeah. because that's what that's what it's all about at that age, right? Yeah. Proving, proving the, something along those lines. So it's a really primitive thing that was going on, for it, sure. It, almost territorial, right? And it was kind of like we're we were seeing that in many themes of life. I mean, on one level, I mean, thinking about it now, on one level, it's like accept 
this uh, patriarchy so that you don't end up in the in jail in the bigger patriarchy right mm-hmm. it's 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 sort of protecting you from the same thing that he's uh, he's doing right mm-hmm. this is the most important thing i think for a 20 year old male uh, young male yeah to prove that he's a man or something and so when that conversation kept getting repeated how was your reaction to that did you feel like you were getting bolder more confident in it how was your relationship to testosterone when that kept getting repeated until that moment where you decided you know what i'm going to actually make that move at some point you feel like you have very little to lose then at that point you just be like all right fine so if uh, if 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 you're if you're going to be expected to like not go out and to uh, to, to basically get nothing what do you have to lose It was quite dysfunctional, right? The the, the relationship, uh, the family, the, the whole family dynamic was was quite dysfunctional. It wasn't being represented that way somehow. It was everybody thought everything was fine, and then there's this black sheep, right? That's yeah. rebelling, right? And it it the, 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 I, I still stand by this till this day. It, it was never fine. Yeah, and uh, like a, it's a very lonely experience doing it, right? Sh- sure, sure. I mean, but but I think it was also like some sort of cry or like for like to 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 rattle things up in in this in these connections these these relationships that were formed that were dysfunctional and needed and needed to be changed around for the whole family i mean not just my father and i yeah and i want to go back to that and mm-hmm. how that has changed over time in in the moment that we're in but first tell me a little bit more about your relationship to drugs after leaving the house How did that change? And once you were able to be king of your own castle, what was your perception? I've always been interested in uh, in in the doors of perception, if you want to call them that, right? And how how uh, how you can see things in in different manners or lights. And uh, this was uh, for me, obviously, I'm sure part of it was also like coping, right, mm-hmm. uh, with with this extra burden you have to deal with now, which is like life. But uh, but also for me, it was always always something that I was interested in and interested in understanding and thought it was a way a good way to understand yourself somehow and what what that means and uh, what not drugs in general. Yeah, one hundred percent. And your big move was had this ripple effect on our whole group because it emboldened us to explore that, and especially when it comes to drugs. That's one of the fundamental things that parents tell us not to do, right? Sure, sure. Like, yeah. Don't play with fire. Don't do drugs. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And uh, that allowed us to uh, go on this whole like ex- collective exploration together. Mm-hmm. That whole idea of opening doors of perception and figuring out who we are and the music that came along with it, such as the Doors, Pink Floyd, and being able to really go into a new world almost. That created kind of that you know ripple effect because sometimes I see drugs as tools you know and it's like you use them in certain areas but how was the how did that add to your toolkit so to speak? If if you're able to perceive something that is so different than what you had been perceiving for your whole waking life, 18, 16, however however early 20, however early you 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 had this experience, it kind of shows you that. Uh, You know, maybe all this, uh, the way that things are, uh, 
may not actually be the way they are. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you can see it completely differently from that. And this construction of some world that's in someone's head is definitely not necessarily the only one. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, again, we'll go back to this idea of perception of if, 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 you, if, if you're seeing some pink elephant floating, it's, it's there, it exists for you, right? And no matter what someone tells you it, that it doesn't, it's, it's still there, right? Uh, so it's, it's kind of like allows you to, uh, to question, to doubt, to, uh, to, to, to understand the, the weight of what that is in, 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 in seeing the world. And what about in, internally, like in seeing your own self? What were your favorite like drug explorations, if you were to tell us, like what, what were kind of like your top moments in shifting your perception about your own self or how you carry yourself in the world? I don't think there are moments, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I did LSD for the first time. I, I think I was around 18, maybe 19. Mm-hmm. And obviously you have a very uh, wishy-washy idea of yourself then. Uh, I, I did LSD for the first time and I processed it over a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Whatever that was, the, that whole trip, whatever it was, I, I was I was processing it for a whole year. So there isn't like a, a certain moment or a certain vision uh, but but it's it's a process that you start, and then a year later, I felt like I'm ready for some more questions, right? Not 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 really for answers, because mm. drugs never give you answers, right? They, yeah. they maybe give you questions. A lot of them, yeah. It's like I like to say this. I think it's a bit funny, where like sometimes like people are like looking for the key, but really they don't they don't they haven't found the door, right? <laughs> you know, like you're you're. I mean, you have the key, but you don't have the door. So you're just looking in the wrong spot. Yeah, LSD is one of my favorite uh, drugs to talk about because there is that shattering of the ego, which carries a lot of that testosterone and how we uh, learn to show up. And it gives us an opportunity to show up in a different way. It gets a really bad rep in the media because the idea of deconstructing your ego, I think some people are more prepared for it than others. And... Yeah, sure. I think it gets a bad rap because of like the, the you know the bad experiences that make the media like that that one person in a million that decided to fly off a building. Sure, sure. But we don't hear about a lot of like the the good stories and what it does, which which allows us to really grow and tap into a part of our consciousness that we don't normally. Sure. So what we do with it is is interesting, but I think it, it scares a lot of people, right? It's particularly scary and different than uh, other party drugs that like cocaine or MDMA, where people have a more of a straightforward experience, I guess. Yeah, for sure. The, the stigma definitely exists. But uh, I also feel like things are changing. I mean, uh, there's uh, now like a lot of research going into it. It's a lot more studied, uh, for example, or being restudied since it was stopped yeah. long ago. The world has changed for sure since since we were growing up, right? I mean, when 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 one of us used to get their hands on, you know, some magazine, it was a big deal. If it was a magazine from abroad or whatever, it was a big deal. Like access to knowledge has become so is is, is, is so much bigger now. At any one point, you can look up any 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 information you'd look you'd like to look up. So the world, in that sense, is changing. The perception is definitely changing because of that. It's just uh, what do you do with it? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question worth thinking about. As the world changes, we have access to all these tools that can change everything that we talked about. Even when we look at the source of conflict that you shared your story with, we're looking at 
this idea of legalization of cannabis, which might have changed how your dad perceived it too. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's spot on. That's exactly the point. I mean, I, I, I feel like my father was uh, more fearful of possibly legal consequences than other consequences when it came to, to, to my cannabis consumption, right? It wasn't, you could argue that alcohol consumption is possibly more harmful than cannabis consumption, yet it's just normalized and legal. And I mean, that's changing. I mean, more and more places are now legalizing cannabis, and uh, I mean, it's a new it's a new perception uh, on on uh, the world's end. It opens up all sorts of uh, potential uh, perceptions, also on 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 the person level. With LSD, is that something that you think you know everyone should experience? I think everybody should uh, go on some sort of psychedelic trip at least once in their lives and then decide if it's uh, for them or not. They're probably the only useful kinds of drugs. You know, like you need to use it wisely. I mm -hmm. feel like uh, you, you can only handle a certain amount maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you have a certain number of trips you can go through and then you're done. And uh, yeah, I just like to savor them and save them, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd, I, I'd love to think that uh, 30 years from now, I, I'd love to be able to still be able to enjoy a hit of acid when, when, when it feels right. So I agree with you. I think LSD and psychedelics in general can have a profound impact on the human psyche that is way stronger than anything that's prescribed to us. I tried acid for the first time in, in a moment of my life that was particularly dark where I was going through depression and I was being prescribed things like Prozac which made me numb. Having to experience something like LSD which kind of opens me up allowed me to overcome it. Like you said, after a very long time of digestion, what things are important and how I can kind of maneuver my psyche in a very different way. I think one of the biggest things about acid is this ego destruction which a lot of people might not be ready for. You know, I know that many months or perhaps years later, you had another encounter with your dad after a lot of these explorations where you were able to approach this idea of smoking hash or the conflict that was around it in perhaps a new way that, that allowed you to connect to him. So what was the role of psychedelics in, in, in figuring out your relationship with testosterone and how did that impact your relationship with your dad? So testosterone and, and ego are like very connected, obviously, right? It's sort of like an assertion of ego or something, manifestations of this. And uh, I mean, but also it's also a drive, right? Being egotistical has a, a negative connotation attached to it. But uh, testosterone, the hormone also uh, is drive. It, it, it helps you push through some things, obviously, it being the only measure of things is is uh, is immature and dumb. One day, my dad uh, calls me. Long story short, he shows up at my place, and I hadn't been expecting him. And I had just rolled a joint, so I just put it in the ashtray, open the door, and it's my father. So I just like uh, come in, and so he comes in. He finds the joint, the, the source of the conflict, right there in front of him. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I asked him what I could fix him for a drink, and and he asked me why I uh, I didn't spark up the J, hmm. and I told him because I thought maybe it'll uh, bother you if I did. He said, no, it doesn't bother me. So I was like, all right, fine. And I sparked up the J and just smoked it right there. And for one thing, I, I never assumed that he hadn't ever like gotten stoned in his life. For Mainly because of the type of humor he has. He, he's got the stoner humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out to me that, uh, fuck no, it's not the truth. Because uh, he got pretty high off uh, secondhand smoke. <laughs> <laughs> this was obviously... A moment of, you know, who has the bigger dick again, where it's a game of chicken. Why aren't you smoking this here? I'll smoke it fine. You know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's fruitless shit, right? Yeah. So on one end, it can, it can be drive to, to do great things. On another hand, it's just childish and a waste of time also, right? Yeah. 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 So how did that encounter change your relationship with him? Did you notice anything different afterwards i think the reason he sort of like pushed for me to light up is he he was actually really curious as to see what it did to me and he pretty much noticed probably no difference uh, or a very slight difference i guess him seeing that maybe changed his perception of you know maybe it's not this crazy thing that i was told which is huge i mean that's profound to be able to have that conversation or even that encounter with your father so uh, so, uh, you know, and I can only imagine what the experience is on, on his end when you have like these thoughts entrenched for, you know, double our age and then see your son confront you that way. Mm-hmm. So it, it has to tickle his ego, as you can imagine also. So uh, it's interesting how that was able to change. And it took, I guess, steps from both of you. Of course. But when it comes to perception and coping in general, he had a very different idea about how coping needs to look like, especially for you, right? So he... He took you on like several trips, other like I guess during that period mm-hmm. uh, to a psychiatrist, to a homeopathist, sure. right? Yes, yes. There was a yeah. bunch of like experiences. Like, yeah. tell us about those. And so yeah, one day he where where he's like, uh, you know, do you want to see a psychiatrist? I tell him, no, I think I'm good. He's like, you know, just to get a, a checkup because I make sure everything's in order. So what do I say? I was like, do you do you do you want to go see a psychiatrist? Back to him. He's like. Why? I was like, yeah, just like a regular checkup, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just being childish and again testosterone, right? But he's like, I was like, look, if it's gonna make you feel better, I'll, I'll go see one, right? And we go together. I'm not sure what he had told the psychiatrist uh, in, in the first uh, meeting. So then he sits us both down and he's like, he 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 talks, he tells my dad, say what you have to say, and then leave the room, please. So my dad says, you know, he um, he drinks alcohol, he does the drugs, he's living with this girl, and that's just not us. So he's like, all right, is this all you have to say? He's like, yes. So he's like, all right, please leave the room. So he sits, so he very methodically goes through things with me. He's like, all right, do you drink? I was like, yes, I do. He's like, uh, how often? I tell him. He's like, do you do it alone or with people? I tell him. Because he asks what drugs I do. I go through it. Uh, again, same questions, whatnot. He's like, so what do you want? I was like, to be honest, I, I mean, if you can just tell him that, to, 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 that I'm fine and that he just needs to chill, uh, that would be useful. He's like, no, that won't work. 
He's like, no, you're you're he's old school and you're not old school, so you'll just never meet. You're, you're he's gonna stay old school. You're gonna stay whatever you are. Uh, what I can do for you is have you come in here once a week, and I can report to him that you're not deteriorating, let's say, or something along those lines. If I see that's the case, I was like, sure, I can do that, no problem. And uh, I mean, the guy completely read the situation. He he he. There was obviously not very much that he was addressing. I was using drugs, maybe, maybe slightly abusing drugs, but it wasn't anywhere near as serious as it was in his, in, in my father's head, for sure. Yeah. He wrote, he, he picked up one of these prescription papers and he wrote three or four things on it. One was like disengagement and independence and I don't know what, things along those lines. And that's, that's what he prescribed. And like, as my dad was there, he's like, all right, this is what we need to do. No, no middle ground. You guys are doing this right, you know. And this, you need to disengage. You need to. He needs to be independent. He needs. I don't know what. what, what. And, uh, yeah, I cherished that for a while. That piece of paper for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and it sounds like a fantastic prescription. Come to think about it, like he actually did read into the situation and figured, okay, this is what you need. Yeah, it's funny how we're we're all seeking for coping with suffering in general of life. And if I find something that's useful for me, then I want you to try it because mm-hmm. that becomes the answer. And I think that's the problem with religion too. When there is, I don't mind anyone talking about faith, but once it becomes the faith and mm-hmm. it then becomes like a testosterone fight between gods and still like this bigger dick mentality. Sure. Sure. It has nothing to do with your physical dick. It actually spans both genders and it's about our belief system and how we want to, Put it out in the world to prove of, that we're right. Of course, of course. The complaint was very specific, and that's mm. not us. Yeah, it's about this identity that we need to fit in. And uh, one, one of the things that amazed the psychiatrist. So I was living with this uh, with uh, this friend of mine who was a girl, and we we weren't involved in any sort of sexual relationship. We were just friends, and she took me in to help me out, right? Mm. And he's like, and uh, when, when, when the psychiatrist asked me, are we sleeping together? And I said, no, he's like, how is that possible? Wow. And <laughs> I told them because, you know, we're not monkeys, you know, mm-hmm. we're just, uh, we can, you know, make choices and stuff. And mm-hmm. that was uh, one of the bubs lit then where he was like, all right, you definitely have a different perception than what he wants you to fit in with. It's really funny in, in a patriarchal society or especially in a society that bans sex as principle. And mm-hmm. I think most cultures in the world stigmatize sex in one way or another. Sure. It still is about those in the patriarchy that want to ban sex are, you know, the ones that can't control it. Like they are the, the problem that they're trying to solve in many ways. And of course, it's like we talked a lot about like facing the different parts of you and as a very significant parts of us. Uh, part of us wants to have sex and we suppress it on a mass level. And then that kind of mentality of, oh, if you're close to a woman or if the woman's hair is visible, then we're automatically going to turn into fucking bunnies. Yeah, exactly. Stigmatizing it is what makes it an issue, right? Yeah. It's it's all about control, right? Yeah. It's all about power and control and testosterone and ego. And it's it's, it's it all feeds into each other and basically on different layers right so on on the on the family level on the home level and then on the government level on the on the, the, the global level and then you know it's just a bunch of people that are like insecure about their dicks or something
male dick is a jolly thing. It's bouncy, squishy, and always up for fun. It loves to swim, swing, and loves going fishing. These appendages are most joyful until the dark forces from the north start to use them to spread evil. The commander-in-chief senses threat with the intelligent testicular radar system and starts to heat up the body, causing the male vehicle to fill with testosterone and start spitting venom at the enemy. Shots fired! Shots fired! Ego springs into action, puffs up the male chest, engorges the face with hot blood and... He's a hot chick, forgets why he was angry, and charges up the sex machine. And five seconds later, the heat subsides, and no one knows what the big deal was about anyways. I want to kind of take us to a different story, where you, again, confronted the bigger dick thing on, on the government level. Because so many years later, you had that experience where you went into conflict with some policemen yes. and it actually had nothing to do with your drug consumption. Yes. It was very much a confrontation of who's right or who has more control or who has more power. Of course. So tell us more about that story and how is that for you? Yeah, so like uh, I got into a confrontation with a police officer where he definitely wasn't, it was like uh, crossing many lines out of nowhere just to uh, prove uh, to to prove power or to prove uh, length of dick or something and uh, i ended up uh, fighting back really uh, and then yeah i was charged with many things at the time spent some time in jail uh, i mean in uh, not in jail in uh, custody uh, and then eventually got out on bail and then got acquitted later when when when, when i went to trial Again, so so like jail is obviously or custody is obviously a great area. Again, that links to this right where you have a bunch of men stuck in a room together, right? <laughs> and then problems, <laughs> right? Yeah. Somehow, like my experience was like that. It was all very innocent at the end of the day. Like it was all very petty and innocent. And somehow, I felt like I was dealing with adolescents, although they were much older than I. It was all very, very, very petty and very uh, childish, really. This, uh, And I felt like I could very easily like outsmart them and play them, to be honest, to, to keep myself safe and to without without entering conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And I, is, that, is that how you felt while you were in custody? Yeah. Or were, yeah. Or you weren't angry at them or you weren't like all dried up? At the anything? inmates? Uh, yeah, or at the situation, like it was your your freedom that you had worked so hard mm-hmm. for is being taken away from you. Yeah, yeah. And now yeah. This, there's authority telling you you're going to sit here and you're not going to move. Yeah, yeah, of course. What I've was got... the mental state then, the, like the first moment going into custody? I, uh, I was definitely numb. And again, mm-hmm. it was like, you're here now, fucking deal with it. And then we'll talk about how you feel later. Obviously, uh, I was... Definitely way more mad at the officers, uh, uh, right? They're, they're way more than the inmates. And at, at the end of the day, like, uh, overall, it's probably a loss for me, right? I mean, probably learned a thing or two for sure. Was it worth it to, to, to prove you had a bigger dick or something? I don't know. 
if 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 that's what it boils down to, if 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 you actually cause absolutely no change in his way of thinking and he's gonna keep doing what he does, then it was only about Dick, right? Probably wasn't worth it to be honest. So one thing that I find really admirable in the way you're describing these conflicts is how you've been able to perceive the intention of the other in the confrontation. And based on that, assess perhaps how a resolution of that testosterone conflict can happen. But the both conflicts that you shared with your dad and the officer sounded like very different experiences internally to you. So how would you compare them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 really what it boils down to is uh, where uh, whether this conflict uh, is in good faith or bad faith. Like I like I described, uh, the conflict with with my father was definitely a conflict in good faith. Neither of us felt that they needed to exert power for the sake of power. It always came from from a good place, from a place where you wanted to better something. Whereas the other conflict was in really bad faith. It's uh, it's quite the opposite. It was completely about ego. It was completely about exertion of power for the sake of of exertion for for the sake of ego for the sake of almost hurting and that's what really boils down to i mean and, and, and this is this is what what we see in the world is that uh, most conflicts are are not coming from a place of good faith it's just a paradigm of wanting more and exerting more, exerting the maximum you can exert that you can get away with because this is, uh, this is the paradigm. It's definitely uh, not, not, not the only way and definitely not the optimal way to, to, to exist. It's, uh, it's just a paradigm. The paradigm needs to change from just being about growth and greed uh, to, to uh, becoming uh, more about sustainability and uh, harmony. So we had a, an episode about revenge earlier and when is it useful or helpful and when should we let go? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you and I talk about is conflict versus the avoidance of conflict because avoidance can come from the other end of the spectrum and can be equally useless, right? Or not helpful for you or you're not protecting yourself uh, by avoiding that. So how has your perception of conflict in your life now changed since then? Now that we are 33 years old, you're about to become 34. And how is it different from those years of the 20s? Why are we in conflict? Are we in conflict because we uh, we want to feel good about ourselves or better about ourselves or are we conflict because we want to reach a better outcome for for all parties that that is something that usually takes a while to realize and in terms of engagement in conflict if if i definitely feel like it's 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 dumb to to engage in in conflict that's in bad faith because uh, you're always going to lose. So just take the smaller loss and avoid it. Uh, whereas uh, if, if, if it's in good faith, then, uh, then something fruitful can come out of it for all parties. And then you should engage with this, with this sort of conflict in order to find a resolution. 
Yeah, and that's a really powerful concept because right now when we look at the world, there is a lot of hate, a lot of greed that we have been kind of ballooning up for quite some time now. And sometimes it's really hard to be optimistic about how the world operates, especially when it comes to conflict that is mostly based still on the patriarchy and testosterone and uh, taking more and more. And we're not really about that sustainability and it doesn't seem like love is flourishing right now in the world when it comes to conflict, because conflict has always been around. And so differentiating between the the faith behind it is a very interesting one. But how would, how would you assess the current world we live in now in 2021? And, you know, what, is, is it changing? And where are we going with, with how we deal with conflict? I think we're just in the wrong mindset. The world's in the wrong mindset. Most conflict is, is a result of bad faith. It's, it's a result of ego and testosterone and unnecessary exertion of power. Because the paradigm is is not focused on the right priorities. It's I mean, there's definitely enough to go around for everyone. It's it's not even about survival. It's just about ego and about exert exerting the maximum amount that can be exerted. The paradigm is not the paradigm of trying to live in harmony. Whether it's going to change or not, or whether it's changing or not, I'm not sure. But I assume that uh, the only way it, uh, a shift in paradigm will also will, will only happen if uh, if we take that path to the end and realize how ugly and unfruitful it is, and then maybe we'll we'll rethink our priorities as as human beings if we find the time to. <laughs> Life is what you perceive it to be, right? I mean, if, 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 if two people are in a room and one person says there are another four people in the room and he sees them, no matter what you do, he's, it's, there are four other people. To him, there are four other people in the room. I don't know. Right. It's, not, it's not the clearest example. But, but even for, you and I sitting here, we're sure. sharing the same moment, but we're seeing a totally different view, a totally different thoughts. Like it's a yeah. different experience. Exactly. So... Uh, I mean, I guess it has something to do about what I feel like uh, life is about, maybe. I mean, for me, like, growing up, you're told that life is some sort of test, maybe, or mm -hmm. something of that sort. Uh, for me, it's not really about that. It's uh, it's uh, it's about experiencing it, really. It's the, the point of life is to experience it, to, to, to do it, to live it, and uh, to just try and... Uh, Make experiences that are interesting is, is sort of what uh, how I feel it is is how you win really you know. So. You mean life is not just about bonus points and being top of the chart? No, no. It's uh, if that's if that's what uh, if that's what a good experience for you is, sure. But uh, it's usually the opposite, maybe. <laughs> Dude, you've given me so much to think about today, just like my first acid trip. I'll be churning on this episode for a while. So thank you so much for taking the time and you know, sharing your stories and uh, being here. It means a lot. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope uh, maybe someone uh, will be inspired or something.